Hi everyone, welcome to episode 31 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, we really appreciate it if you could go back to the episode and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. It will mean a huge amount to us. That one recommendation, that one review, um, we'd be forever grateful. It means a huge amount. Um, any interaction that you may have about the podcast, please do tag On The Ball Team Building and also tag the guest. Big shout out to our sponsors, GRG Sports, who have been a massive help over the last couple of months. Uh, they're doing great things above their mail, um, great supplier of sports team wear, merchandise. And so if you're if you're thinking of uh, talking about your, your club or even if you're thinking of talking about maybe you know, your business colleagues, um, they'll be able to, to assist you in the best way possible. Uh, be sure to check them out. They'll be tagged around on social media posts. It's now time to bring on this week's guest and I'm delighted to be joined by LA Galintini's hooker Sean McNulty. Sean was on the books with Munster at underage level before he joined the Leinster Academy. He represented Ireland at underage level also where he lined out for under 19s, actually 7s and 15s, both teams, um, as well as the Ireland under 20 side in 2014 and 2015. The former Rockwell College graduate moved to the MLR to join the New England Free Jacks in 2019. Along with his brother Harry, he has now recently joined the new MLR franchise, LA Galantini's, for the upcoming season. Right, hi Sean, welcome to an interview podcast. Um, how are you keeping at the moment? Hey, how are you? Yeah, all, all good, all is well. Um, just got back to Dublin there, so I was away for a couple of months, so... Yeah, happy to be back, I suppose, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. And for, for people now who who's listening to this, um, he's he's rocking a beautiful uh, tan at the moment. <laughs> so uh, he, since yeah. he wasn't in uh, in cold weather. Where are you asking him from? Um, so I was in uh, Bermuda for a month, um, playing in the World Ten Series. It's kind of like a new, it's a new competition that they're they're getting off the ground. So I was lucky enough to be invited to play in that, and then I was in the States then for a month. So I just got back two days ago. So. Fresh tan, moustache, bit of a different look than I'm used to, but it's a crack. Brilliant. And how was uh, how's the last say how's the last couple of months been for you, like since lockdown? Um, have you found you have you found it very very difficult and challenging to adapt to a new way of life? Um, yeah, to be honest, it's kind of been ebbs and flows. I suppose I'm I'm sure everyone's kind of been through the same thing. Um, Joe, in in one sense, as on bit of a high he was playing MLR you know in, in March last year we were uh, I was playing pretty well I was kind of happy out and then all of a sudden I kind of moving back to Dublin and I'm facing essentially a year back home in Dublin um, you know it's March to March that we're due back now and kind of just no no plan you know you kind of just plant at home and you know you've, you've got a, a full year to kill and you got to try and make purpose out of your days and get busy Um so definitely like I said going up and down and motivation and kind of headspace but um yeah, flying it the last couple of months now, really, really uh, uh, happy out and getting get stuck into it. So, yeah, delighted to kind of coming out of lockdown, I suppose, and kind of looking forward to getting back out to America soon. Very good, very good. And how like how are you feeling these days? Um, because I know we, we, we'll speak about now later on about, you know, where you're after moving to recently. But, like, how are you feeling the days? You know, you kind of have to wait till next March, I think you were saying, to get back there. Yeah, um... So, well, I'm in five-day five isolation now like, since I've been home. So, 
just trying to stay stay fit as I can, keep on top of things, doing a bit of running. But uh, day to day, um, you know, I'm still studying. Um, I'm finishing my degree online, doing a bachelor's of uh, business and sports management. So I finish uh, at the end of this month. Actually, finally get it done. I kind of push it off for a good few years, and uh, finally getting that done. And then, um, yeah, in March or April. Um, Myself, my brother, and a couple of friends uh, started what was it just an idea, kind of launched our own company. So we uh, just started an agency, essentially. So um, between the two of those and just staying fit and keeping on top of things, um, being as busy as I can anyway. Brilliant. And uh, that innovation that agency, what exactly is, is that? Do you want to give us a bit of an insight into it? Uh, yeah, so essentially it's um, kind of building personal brands and kind of building brand partnerships between athletes and like I said, brands um, that they kind of align themselves with or something that they might be passionate outside their sport, um, trying to just maximize the kind of value of, of an athlete for a brand. Um, you see kind of Instagram is full of sponsored posts and influencer marketing and all that stuff these days. Um, you know, and a lot of it can, I wouldn't say fake, but a lot of it can kind of get lost and it, it doesn't look that authentic. And we just kind of saw that uh, there's an opportunity to, you know, really kind of develop and um, put out like real genuine content that kind of engages the uh, the audience or the, I guess, social media world. And we just find that there'll be kind of added value to that. And um, yeah, really, it was challenging, but really exciting. And it's uh, really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, we're finally off the ground now. We launched fully last month and uh, yeah, flying it. So it's all, all is good. Very good, very good. And I suppose, like everything, you know, it's the first couple of months that it really takes, you know, it takes time to get, to really get off the ground. It takes time for people to buy into what you're doing as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's not easy. So it's myself and my brother who are obviously here together in Dublin. There's two lads in London. There's one in Hong Kong and there's one in New Zealand. So, uh, you know, exactly. So trying to even organise that, I'm getting team calls together and stuff like that is in a challenge in itself. But, um three of us are professional athletes or once professional athletes so a bit of a kind of a book or a network of kind of people we we initially reached out to to kind of get us off the ground in terms of uh, getting them on our books and um kind of building a network from there which which has been um, pretty positive brilliant brilliant um look I suppose we'll, we'll bring it back to the early days um yep you know, like you're still young but bring it back to the <laughs> young that old yes yeah <laughs> no. um you you were born in London and you spent nearly yeah. a decade in New York and you were in Barbay, Barra, Bahrain, Bahrain, yeah, yeah, Bahrain, Bahrain, yeah, Bahrain, out in the, out in the Middle East, yeah, Bahrain. For um, actually, sorry, you were in Bahrain then when you were ten. Um, yeah. So do you want to kind of get, yeah. bring us through that, you know, that transition, how that happened, and how did you find it? Must have been difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I mean, it's not the. The, uh, stereotypical kind of childhood that you hear in Dublin of people growing up all over the world but um yeah essentially uh my parents met out in Bahrain in the Middle East out in uh probably the 80s my mum was a flight attendant or an air hostess sorry on the king of Bahrain's royal flight so I'm sure that was very very cool and my dad was out um working in finance kind of um so yeah they, they met out there and uh my brother harry who is two and a half years older than me he was born there so he was uh, in 93 and then just after he was born my parents moved to london um and myself and my sister were born there 11 months apart so we're irish twins um so uh yeah i think they lived in london for about two years and then just after i was born they moved to new york 
and my younger sister Kira was born just then. So there's four of us in four years, um, which is, you know, I'm sure it was pretty tough at the time. But um, yeah, then from New York, um, grew up like in the suburbs, just outside the city, about an hour's commute. My dad was working on Wall Street. My mum was in real estate and um, lived there for 10, 10 years, just maybe just under 11 years. Um, and yeah, then from there, we moved back to Bahrain. So getting lost. Um, I think my parents kind of just had that kind of craving to get back to it. It's really, you know, really great lifestyle out there. Obviously, good weather. Kind of, you see a lot of people going to Dubai these days. The Bahrain's, you know, very similar. Um, just a really, really cool place to grow up. So, uh, yeah, when I was just just after I turned ten, we moved out there. Um, I did, I think, a year and a half of school there, and then went to boarding school in Rockwell College myself and my brother. So, um, plenty going on. But yeah, really, really enjoy, enjoyable childhood. You must have found it hard, um, you know, going to school and things out there. Or, or was it? Did you were you kind of young and didn't take much notice, really? Uh, a little bit of that, yeah, a little bit young and I don't know, naive is the word, but I um, I actually remember when, when we were first told we were leaving uh, Rye in New York is where we grew up. I remember we moved at Christmas time and I think, I was only a kid, but I remember my parents saying, oh, we're only going for six months, we're going for a year, dad is work, whatever. So it was, it was grand, it was leaving at Christmas, I told my friends in New York, I'll see them in the summer, I'm only going away for a bit. And um got out there and we kind of just fell in love with the place and I'm sure the plan was always to stay around for a few years they were just telling us to kind of ease the blow of the move um at that age but um kept all of our you know connections with our friends in New York I'm still best friends with some of them today I see them all the time uh, and my friends in Bahrain but um yeah really easy move to Bahrain um you know uh yeah just really loved it from the get-go so it was all good do they speak English out in Bahrain I uh yeah, no, well, I mean, the, the first language is Arabic. It's an Arabic country, but, um, like, every, yeah, everyone does speak English. And, you know, I went to an international school, which is mainly, like, British curriculum. But, um, you know, like, all, all the, the Westerners, I suppose, will have, like, kind of English accents, kind of that expat kind of international accent. But, uh, yeah, pretty much, um, yeah, everyone speaks English, yeah. And, look, with all that movement, when does sport come into, into your life? Yeah, um, from the get-go, from in America, um, it's a real American. You pl- you play everything, absolutely everything, as a kid. So, in the winter, I was playing ice hockey. Ice hockey was my first true love of a sport. Um, it was the one I was best at. Um, I, you know, I wanted to grow up and be a, a professional ice hockey player from a young age. Um, so in the in the winter, you're playing ice hockey. In the spring, you're playing baseball. I think in the summer, you're swimming all summer. In the autumn, you're playing soccer. Like so, it's literally just nonstop. Um, they kind of split their their seasons up through sports. Um, so literally had a hand in everything. And then rugby, I guess, didn't really um, take off till Bahrain. Bahrain's um, the Bahrain Rugby Club is kind of the expat hub of Bahrain. It's where all the the expats go hang out. Um, so um, that's where you meet all your friends. That's where you know your parents uh, hang out and stuff as well. So. I'd always heard about rugby just because my dad would have, you know, played and stuff growing up, but never knew anything more than just it was a sport my dad played growing up when I was in New York. And then when I got to Bahrain, I yeah, picked it up for a bit and then obviously through Rockwell, kicked on then. And like, what brought you to Rockwell? Did you always want to go back to Ireland or was that kind of a stepping stone to, you know, pursue a career in rugby? Uh, but no, definitely nothing to do with rugby. Um, press rugby wasn't on my radar at all. I was very, very new to it. But um, loved the game, really loved it. And maybe there was the, as- the aspect of wanting to play 
higher standard. But um, essentially, my my uncle on my mum's side, um, Uncle Mark, went to Rockwell and he captained a senior cup team there. So uh, the year after we went to Bahrain, I think my brother Harry was looking at going to boarding schools in Ireland. And um, it just so happened that, you know, that kind of was the best fit. Go to Rockwell. Um, all my mum's side of the family are based in Waterford. So it's only about an hour away. So grandparents, uncles, aunties, stuff like that are all there. So, you know, on weekends, if we need to get down there, we, we were close by. Um, so it just, okay, yeah, all, all made sense to go to Rockwell and um, turned out to be, you know, an unbelievable decision. And things kind of started going, you know, started going the right direction for you there. Um, I, I think you 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 played in the, the senior cup team, did you, for the, for one or two years? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, so very very blessed and kind of lucky to come to Rockwell at a good time where um, the senior cup team was kind of the centre of the school in in a, in a way. Um, we got to the senior cup final, I think, six years in a row, um, which is obviously cool. And there's a really buzz around the school, so. Um, my brother won a cup, uh, sorry, lost a final in fifth year, won the cup in sixth year. And then I won the cup the following year when I was in fifth year and then lost in the final in sixth year. So we both have a cup medal, which is pretty cool. And yeah, it was just a really, really, I guess, talented period in Rockwell. Like a lot of the players who we would have went to school with and played with would have kicked on, played for Munster, Connacht. Um, I think I'm the only one to go up the Leinster route, but mainly Munster lads. Yeah. And off the top of your head, can you remember any, any lads that were on that, that team? Uh, yeah, well, um, in, in particular, I think the most enjoyable part about Rockwell was kind of in the boarding school and after, after study, um, you know, we had a kind of a floodlit astroturf. And every, every evening after study, it was, you gather 20 lads, you go out and play touch rugby for two hours until you're bone dry and it's 10 minutes before lights out, you're sprinting back up to get into bed in time. But like in that game of touch rugby, like you'd have JJ Hanran, uh, Shane Buckley who was at Munster he's at uh, Ealing Trail Finders now Sean McCarthy who was at Munster like Dave Johnson who was at Munster and Ealing Steve McMahon who was in Munster now is in France Rory Parada myself my brother um, you know, the list kind of goes on and on lads who were in the academy and then kind of went to English clubs like I'd say of the 20 lads playing touch rugby you'd have maybe 12 who went on to play professional rugby so um, yeah it was just class at that age you, you obviously didn't know they were going to kick on but just really really cool and what was the the culture like there was it just like constantly you know was it just rugby mad you know you kind of probably alluded to that already but was it just was the whole culture um you know you're aspiring to to be like the senior cup teams of, of old yeah it was it, yeah definitely um especially being younger than my brother so i would have seen when i was in fourth year he was in the senior cup team and i would have kind of i would have hung out with them a lot but i would have looked up to him as well and it's funny to look back on it. There's this, bit, you know, this big hype around schools rugby, and you know, it's 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 funny. It was the cool thing to be, you know, having a protein shake at lunchtime and stuff, and just kind of that whole kind of swag about schools rugby. Um, but yeah, we really competitive. It's probably some, you know, it's some of the most enjoyable rugby you play. Um, and yeah, took it seriously, and particularly just got really close with the lads because. Um, you know, Tipperary, I guess, wouldn't be known for, for rugby as such. So the majority of the senior cup players would have been boarders, um, Cork, Limerick, you know, Kerry, stuff like that. So you're living with them, you know, you're sleeping, eating, everything with them. And, you know, sometimes you'd be going to the gym before school and then you're going to play and touch rugby after study. Like you're just constantly in that kind of bubble and just, um, yeah, you just get really close. And you know, I guess that's the most enjoyable part of men's school rugby is just the mates you make. <clears throat> And during your time um, at Rockwell, 
I, I could be wrong, no, but were you in with the uh, youth system as well, in Munster youth system, or was that after Rockwell? Yeah, yeah, so that starts in Rockwell. Um, I think it's uh, in around Junior Cup, so in around like under 15s, under 16s. Um, in the summer, uh, following that school year, you get, it starts off at like a, an under 17s, kind of wider training camp, so it's East Munster, South Munster, North Munster kind of stuff. You kind of train twice a week throughout the whole summer, kind of talent ID, stuff like that. Um, and then you go, obviously you go back to school, play senior cup, and then uh, you have your Munster schoolboys, which is under 18s. And then from there you go 19s and 20s. And um, so I think it's it's kind of roughly like the summer after fourth, fifth and sixth year, you play kind of Munster 18s, 19s, 20s. Would you have been in around UL training in, in there or was it just kind of you see meet up for just for tournaments or was it like um, yeah, yeah so sorry to cut you off um, so when I first started it was kind of split between UL and um, CIT because um, the bones of the teams would be kind of Cork and Limerick and then actually from under 19s and 20s um, Munster all the underage groups um went into kind of a summer camp in Rockwell actually, which is pretty handy because I only lived 10 minutes from Rockwell. So um, you, well, it was like going back to boarding school for the whole summer, essentially like the whole squad for 18s, 1920s would be living in the dorms, using the gyms, pitches there. And you'd be in there, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every week. And then you do your gym sessions on your Monday and Friday in Limerick, if you're from Limerick or in Cork. So um, again, you kind of get really close and it's kind of full on at that age, but it was again, really, really enjoyable. And like you, you said there that you um, you live close to, to Rockwell. So the first couple of years, you were obviously in, in, in the campus. But were you, the last year, were you kind of just off campus or what was the... Uh, no, I, I actually stayed boarding the whole time. Um, so from first to third year, I was a seven-day boarder, is what they're called. So um, my parents were still living in Bahrain. So I would um, be in there seven days a week. And then every... I think it's every fourth weekend they had what's called like a borders weekend. So the, the seven day borders would, if, if you're from, you know, if, if you don't have family in Ireland, you get kind of a host family to get out for the weekend. But I would go to my grandparents' house, my uncle's house. Um, so seven day border for first to third year. And then had the option of kind of coming out of boarding when my parents moved back to Clamell um, when I was going into fourth year. But um, I just loved it. And, you know, so myself and my brother stayed boarding um, went to five day boarding. So I went home every weekend. Um, but my sisters were day people, so they were coming in and out. So it actually worked out fine. Like my mum would drop me in like a nice hot dinner when she was picking the girls up from school and stuff. So I had all the home comforts when, it, when I needed. So I was all right. The crack was too much. You exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like it, there was, <laughs> I mean, there was, no, there was no need to go home. Like it was, like I said, it, it was that much crack. And like I said, we're going to the gym or playing touch rugby or just, you know, just fucking around in the, in the dorms. It was, it actually was just a lot of crack. So, um, yeah, so, so no reason to go home. And the, um, it's all boys, isn't it? Or is there is there girls in there as well? Or what's the? It's it's a mixed school, but there's no girls boarding, so I keep that separate. But I actually saw last week they just announced they're building a, a girls boarding facility there, so and um, they're moving up in that in that sense. But no, it was all just day girls um, when I was there. All right, right. Um, yeah. And then when did we say, you know, um, we at what point then did you come aware? Look. Um, Munster wasn't going to be an option for you and, and Leinster kind of came calling how did that happen? Uh, yeah so it kind of it was kind of aimed around my college decision um, so in sixth year um, I made the Irish schoolboys team um, which was the first time that I actually kind of put professional rugby in my sights I didn't really have not ambition I just didn't see it as my pathway um, I guess because 
you know, I didn't grow up playing rugby and it wasn't my dream to play for Munster because I didn't grow up going to Thoman Park every day. You know, I was in New York playing ice hockey and stuff, you know, and I kind of just fell into rugby and I, I didn't really get good at it until kind of fourth, fifth year when I started making the senior cup team. Like I was playing in the seconds team before that. Um, so it was only in sixth year when um, I got the Irish schoolboys and, you know, I didn't even go to any camps before that. It was literally um, from the senior cup, I think I got picked up. So went to that and then the, I guess got a taste in that but um, I always wanted to go to college in Dublin um, it was just where I wanted to be and um, I didn't get offered like an academy place at the Munster I think I got offered sub-academy which is kind of like a academy apprenticeship I guess it's unpaid and you're doing all the work it's just um, a bit more of a trial I guess and I was like look I just I may as well go to go to UCD um, and then from there the, the Lancer thing kind of came into play Um and yeah, delight, delighted I did that in Paris. And when you, when you went to Linz, then um, you you kind of alluded to that you went and you know you, there was no contract on the table. But when did things kind of when did Linz kind of come knocking? Was it after a couple of games in UCD? Um, I kind of made it happen myself. So when I, I, in my first year in college, because um, I, I left school when I was seventeen, I was I didn't turn eighteen till kind of halfway through first semester of college. So I was pretty young. Um, so I was just playing for the UC under 20s and then I knew I'd have Munster 20s that summer so usually people do Munster 20s after sixth year I was so young I did after first year college um, so that summer or sorry when I was in Dublin um, and I played the Irish under 19s and stuff um, just kind of built a relationship with a guy called Colly McEntee who's I think the head of all underage rugby and chatting to him and then at the time Gervin Dempsey was the academy manager at Leinster it was kind of chatting to them and kind of got the idea planted about potentially coming to, to Leinster and yeah, yeah I made it happen it was, it was a strange one though because I still went back and played Munster 20s that summer but then like the next day I started in the Leinster sub-academy so it was strange and everyone knew I was going to Leinster after that summer but um, that's just the way it worked out and it was, it was fine nobody got upset or anything so it's fine and um, you spent three years uh Academy for Leinster. Uh, Donny, can you give us an overview of what that was like? Because I see that the professionalism there was was at a different level, really. That probably you've ever you ever had experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I did one year down in the sub academy, um, which again is that kind of unpaid apprenticeship type thing, as they call it. Um, kind of the hard yards. You start at seven a.m. and you have your gym and you're running. And then Dave Fagan is the S and C coach. He's kind of famous around uh, Leinster. Kind of hard old school S and C coach, and he, you know, toughens you up a little bit. And then you get selected into the academy from there. Um. So yeah, luck, lucky enough and kind of blessed to have gotten the academy contract. Um. Kind of came at a good time. So in in sub academy, I dislocated my shoulder the the first week of Irish twenties. It was actually in training before the first game and. I think I was in I was in the hospital just after surgery and Gervin Dempsey shot me a text saying, Look, um obviously you're gonna miss the rest of the season, but you know, if it helps your head, you know, you've got a contract for next year. So that was obviously really cool and something to look forward to. And then um yeah, did my three years in Leinster and yeah, just the professionalism is unreal. Um just the standards they set and you can see why they're probably the most successful club team in the world at the moment. They just you kind of think high standards are here and then they just, they really ramp it up and every, they drive it themselves and it's just, yeah, it's, it's class. Well, having, you know, we're speaking about in a few minutes, but you know the way you, you kind of, you've, you've left now and you're gone from there. Um, I, I'd imagine it's probably yeah. the, 
little inches make the difference in Linster, is it? And that's what set them apart. There are no shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like I said, like like I said, the standard in there is just so high. Like even if you look at the, the kind of depth and positions, you could have Irish internationals for a second and third choice in a position. So you really have to, I guess, do everything you can to perform every week or kind of inch out your opposition every week. Um, you know, when I was there, I was behind um, Sean Cronin, uh, Richard Strauss, James Tracy, all Irish internationals, Brian Byrne, who's, I think, a class player, really playing well for Bristol. And then Ronan Keller came in as well, and you see he's playing for Ireland as well. So, like, just the depth there, the lads you're competing with. Um, yeah, you just have to be just on all the time and um, brings the best out of you. But um, at the same time, as a young lad who... Joe mightn't have found his feet in the, in the first year. It, it is hard to break into that when you're kind of six positions down and, you know, you don't really get your reps and stuff like that. Um, so it is all about just kind of taking those reps when it, when it gets to you and making the most of every opportunity. And when you say reps, what do you mean by that? So repetition. So, like, if, you know, um, so if you're the academy hooker, you're not going to be, t- you know, taking most of the line-out throws in training. You know, you, um, if there's if we do half an hour of line-outs, you might only get six or seven throws in there and you know you got to make it count you know because the lads will do you know jamie or cronin will do five brian will do five you know you might get one at the end just to keep taking over so stuff like that I mean, you, you know you gotta same with scrums you know if they've there's only two hookers in a scrum at a time and um, so they're, if they're all rotating in you, you might get one or two reps you gotta just you know make the most of that so um yeah and i, I say that can kind of do you know, just from the outside looking in, I said that can definitely yeah. be testing on the mind. Um, oh yeah, for sure. How, how did you find um, it? Um, it's funny. It, it it depends. So like, obviously the hooker um, is kind of idle in the scrum and the lineouts. Um, but the lineouts one of probably like the most confident part of my games. Like, I never really got too nervous standing on the line. Or um, you know, I, I don't know about other hookers, but some mics get nervous when they see. So I was always happy out, and um, I was always pretty confident when I was throwing. But um, it's funny that on the other hand of things, you know, I'm a tall hooker, so you know, in in scrums, um, you know, you have to work a little harder to stay down. So I'm six two or six three. So you know, I, I'd be more nervous kind of going into a scrum than I would be on a lineout. So um, it's just balancing that and kind of working on the things you know you need to work on and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you 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 touched on something there that yeah you're you're you know you're quite a big um, hooker. Usually they're they're smaller and yeah yeah and, and wider. And how how have you found that? That must have been difficult, is it? Or do you find it difficult? Or are you more prone to injuries? We say in scrum situations. Um, I mean, I, I guess I only, I got I got into hooker just when I went to Rockwell. Um, and I don't know is it from the baseball or what, but from just the second I picked up rugby ball, I could kind of just like throw a ball a mile like I you know tight spin I could just I was always throwing a ball so I guess underage like Cran you can throw your your hooker and then like I said I started making the Munster teams and the Irish team so I kind of just ended up at hooker and then you know as I get older I obviously got taller as well and people like oh you know you're getting tall but it was it was never an issue but um I mean probably extra things I need to do to make sure I don't get injured like I said I've, I've got a you know quite a tall lad so long back long neck just work on strengthening that but um no, I, I don't really see it as too much of a disadvantage or anything. or um, Just maybe something to just keep on top of and make sure to use it as a strength. And those, those couple of um, years you were with Linster, I, I came across mm-hmm. something there that you said. Um, 
that you remember, you know, the, the last year of your academy contract, you knew that you weren't going to be offered another one. Um, yeah. There's definitely a lot of people in that situation, no matter what, what club they play with. It must have been extremely difficult to go in every day, keep yourself motivated. Yeah, oh. absolutely. That was, um, yeah, that was the hardest part of my career, probably, even though know, I was only an academy player. So, so it sounds weird to say that. Um, but, yeah, going up through, <coughs> excuse me, uh, going up through the academy system, you're kind of told, you know, if you don't get your opportunity or your shot kind of in the first and second year, then that preseason game in third year is kind of where you make a break. And, uh, yeah, I remember we, uh, we were playing Perpignan away and, like, typical French crowd, banging drums, really loud, real hostile. And um, there was more or less two teams, so you bring about 25, so more or less everyone gets subbed on. And I think everyone was – all the subs were kind of told, look, you know, you're, you're going to get a half. You're going to come on just after half time." And, you know, slowly but surely I'm looking around and I'm the only sub who's not on the pitch yet. Everyone's kind of been brought on. And, you know, then, you know, there's 20 minutes left, there's 15 minutes left. And, you know, eventually I, I go on on the last. But I remember just getting in my own head and thinking, like, fuck, you know, he's not bringing me on for a reason. Like, fuck, I mean, I'm not good enough. Anyway, I, w- I went on. I just, I remember not playing well. And my mum came over to the game. And, yeah, that's actually one thing I do remember is I said to her, I was like, look, I think that's my shot. Like, I think I'm done. And, um, which is, you know, obviously looking back, it's that's pretty negative headspace to be in. Kind of that's that's in August of a season or September. <clears throat> There's eight months, nine months left of that. So I got into my head nice and early, which obviously isn't great. Um, which, which I'm sure would have fed into um, the rest of the season. But yeah, it did make it very hard, kind of being in that headspace and going in every day. And you know, you see, which is especially weird because they were winning. I think they, they you know, they won the double, signing up and the property in that year. So mixed, uh, mixed feelings. Like, would you have been in just, I'm, I'm not too sure. So as an academy player, like, would you be in training with the seniors? Like, or would you have your own kind yeah. of separate league? Um, no, you're, you're pretty much with the seniors full time. Um, Stuart Lancaster kind of brought that in and made sure Joey's kind of um, prepping the lads from a good young age. And, you know, you could see over the last few years, um, just the amount of young talents coming through. And that's all just from being pushed through in training and being challenged and getting their, getting their reps in. Um, but again, like through that, you know, in my in my final year, again, just building on that kind of headspace where you kind of think you're um, going out even before you're told. Um, Joe Ronan was just coming into the academy there, so you can you can see it naturally shift and putting their attention into him. So that's where you kind of you, you pick up signs and stuff. You know, um, he's probably four years younger than me, so you know, it made sense for them to put their energy into him. Um, and you know, look, he's he's kicked on, he's done really well, so it's all good. I'm just I'm just trying to delve into like your headspace then. Like it must have yeah. been extremely difficult. Like you must, you know, you know, you must have been crippled with, you know, disappointment, um, yeah, uncertainty. You know, you didn't. There was no kind of route. <clears throat> was hopefully maybe to play with Leinster and get a senior contract. But when that was cut short, yeah, what was it like? It must have been very difficult. Yeah, no, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. With uncertainty is probably the word that stands out most. Um, Especially because, uh, you know, you see all your friends are making their debuts. Some are playing for Ireland. Um, and especially towards the end of the season, you're coming into April, May. And it's common. Everyone asks you, oh, you know, what are you doing next year? Where, where are you playing next year? What club are you going to next year? All that. And at the time, I didn't know. I didn't have a contract. Um, so that was uncertainty and almost embarrassing at the same time. You know, you're kind of on a high in the Leinster Academy and there's a bit of a 
maybe a status of being in there, you know, you're 18, 19 years old and you're in the Leinster Academy and, you know, you're on a high and then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're kind of lying. Oh, you know, I've got a few things lined up for next year. I just don't know which one I'm going to take. But in reality, I, I didn't have, at that time, I, I didn't have a contract sort. I was chatting to a few people or a few teams, um, but I, I had nothing signed up. So I, I found that really hard to be like, oh yeah, you know, something's coming, you know, I'm going to sign something soon. But um, yeah, it was just a really tough situation to be in at that age, I think. It's amazing like how, you know, a situation like that, you know, you hear about it happen to people, but, you know, when they're kind of landing on your doorstep straight away without realising it, you, you, yeah. kind of and you have to kind of deal with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, like you said, you, you just have to deal with it. Um, it, is, it is hard to keep the motivation. Like, you find out in January-ish that you're not getting a contract. So to go in every day, January, February, March, April, May, uh, you know, keep a smile on your face and train hard. Um, it's tough. It is really tough. Um, like I said, especially as your your mates are are already kicking on. Um, but you know, I, I've said this before. Uh, I'm not the first person. I'm not the last person to go into Leinster Academy and come out without a contract. So um, yeah, as you get older, and you know, it probably took a year to really park it and really get over it. But um, you do, and then you kind of realise that it's you know, there's great things out there. Yeah, and look, I suppose you know you're looking back now, and you're probably you're probably taking the odd benefit or the odd um, you know optimistic outlook from from that time. I know it, it might have been bad, but it, it definitely allowed you to grow as a, grow as a person. I suppose you know that's probably one one positive. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, and Joe, I'm about 25 now. I'm almost uh, I'm two or three years out of Leinster, and it's it's only really kind of clicked to me now. Um. That it, as weird as it sounds, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me getting let go from Leinster now that I've kind of parked it and cleared it because, you know, it's allowing me to you know, travel. And, you know, like I said, I just got back from a month in Bermuda, you know, playing in the sun, meeting new lads, like had like the best time of my life. Um, you know, we're going to touch on my kind of my next move in the MLR. Like that's unbelievably exciting. Um, Joe, I was never going to go on and play for Arden and, and the Lions. You know, if, if I did get a senior contract that year, I probably would have, you know, still would have been fifth choice. You know what I mean? So this has allowed me to use rugby as like a, a ticket to the world, you know, meet new people, you know, just new experiences. So it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's been great once I got the ball rolling again. Brilliant. Yeah, no, it definitely has, like, and we'll, we'll touch on it now in a minute, but yeah. what, what you're after doing over the last 12 months, uh, <laughs> you're after having a nice, uh, nice exactly. Um But so when did the... Oh yeah, actually, one thing I want to, want to touch on, um, right? So, you you knew you know after January that you won't be getting um, a contract. Um, so were you looking elsewhere? And I, I I'm led to believe you're getting offers from England, but you weren't too drawn to it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, I was chatting to there's one or two teams in the English Championship, which is the second division in England. Um, and at the, at the time, it was kind of my <coughs> excuse me. It was kind of my only offer coming in from professional rugby, and I just kind of decided that look, I'm, I'm not going to get any enjoyment out of going to the second division in England, um, up in the Midlands, kind of on not a whole lot of money, you know, just in the wind and rain. Like I said, like I kind of decided I want to use rugby as you know the life experiences and all that. I just didn't, I just didn't see myself getting it. I, you know, I wouldn't have been happy kind of slogging it out just for the extra year or two of professional rugby. Um, so I kind of turned my eye to America a little bit. MLR had just only began the first year there, but actually I was looking at going back 
to because I hadn't finished my degree at the time. So I was going to go to Life University, which I know Dylan, who was on the podcast before, he would have went there, and a couple of my friends have been there. So and they have an unbelievable rugby program there. So I, I was looking at that. I look to get my studies done and continue to play. Obviously not press rugby, but you know they train pretty much full time. And I was looking at that a really a really good option. Um, but yeah, went down the MLR route and uh, yeah, really really happy that I did. Well, I, I'm I'm led to believe it wasn't that easy. You were you were kind of no. you were kind of on you know on a on a board for a while. You weren't too sure yeah. to keep playing rugby or would you you know pursue something else um new york where you spent 10 years was the place that uh you decided you want to continue playing rugby do you want to tell us how that happened yep um so that that actually was exactly what sparked my interest in the mlr um the first year of the mlr was going on as i was finishing leinster and then Rugby United New York, which is the team in New York, were just announced for the following season, which would have been the first year out of Leinster. And immediately I was like, look, I grew up in New York. I've got hundreds of friends in New York. Um, that That is something really exciting. And I believe Eddie O'Sullivan was announced as like an advisor or um, like a consultant kind of role for, for New York for the year. So I gave him a call, actually, and I was like, look, sold him this whole story Look, I grew up in New York and you know, I'd love to go back and be in my hometown and all this stuff and so he actually put me in touch with um with the kind of management there had a phone call and then nothing really came of it it kind of went a bit radio silence um because there was a, a cap on foreign players and visas and this and that and then because at the time I didn't know that I was USA qualified which I later found out which again we can touch on when we get to talking about that but um so at the time, I was just, a, just you know, I'm sure he had a hundred phone calls from people around the world. I want to play professional rugby in New York City. Um, so he, he didn't really return my call. And um, so that's when uh, I kind of said, look, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to play anymore. I'm just going to take the summer off. And I actually, again, New York, I ended up going to New York for the whole summer. Um, and that's where I would have met Greg McWilliams um, for the chat, which I know you've um, heard about. So... Yeah, that's that's where the ball got rolling again with with the rugby side of things. Um, Greg McWilliams, a lot to kind of owe to him. And then, um, just like you, you you didn't stay in in, um, in New York to say for that year, you ended up in um, in Boston. Uh, what was that that yeah. like? Yeah, a stronghold of Irish people, plenty of Irish yeah. around there. Yep. Um, so I guess I'll touch back onto this Greg McWilliams point again. Yep. So um, I knew Greg from Dublin. He's now the, the backs coach at, with the USA national team and he was director of rugby at Yale. So it was the season I, I got let go from Leinster. I went to New York just for the summer, a bit of a J1 type thing um, with a few lads from Leinster. Well, they came for a week and then when they went back, I stayed on. And um, it's kind of there. I, I I was in the, the headspace of, look, I'm not going to play rugby anymore. I'm going to pack it in. I, I hate it, all this shit. Um, but then I just, I, I kind of had a, a realization that, look, you know, I'm only 22 years old, you know, and then rugby, as much as it seems like it's the center of the universe when you're in the bubble, it's, it's not. And, you know, I didn't want to be 35 and look back and, you know, or, or, you know, I couldn't be 35 and say, look, now I want to be a pressure player. You know, you only get the kind of physical capabilities to do that once. And, you know, at 22 years old, like, you know, 15 years or, 10 years of, of rugby left in you. So it, it would have been completely silly to, um, sorry, it would have been just completely silly to pack it in there. And then, 
So I, I just shot Greg a text and said, look, I'm in the area. Um, I'd love to talk to you about rugby in the USA. And yeah, I went up and met him in Yale. Me and my mom went up and chatted to him, had a great day, just showed me around the campus, got chatting and he planted a few ideas in my head. And um, he then he would have actually linked me in an email chain with, I think, New York and the New England Free Jacks at the time and said, look, Sean is from Leinster, he's USA qualified, because I'd found recently, or I'd since found out um, that I qualified for USA. Um, and then from there, the, the Free Jacks were the ones who kind of got onto me and brought me over, yeah. How do you find that? That uh, You know, I suppose one one thing, I, I one question I got in there to run um, was, you know, you went to the MLR. Um, was there a lack of professionalism you know, you played Ireland in the 20s, you played at Leinster, arguably one of the best club teams out there. Um, yeah. And then you went over to MLR, which was probably maybe only in its first season. Was it the first or second season? It was very early days. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I signed for the New England Free Jacks first. Um, it, when they were in what was called their like expansion year or exhibition year, um, meaning that they were selected or they were... Um, preparing to join the MLR the following season. So in this exhibition year, they kind of <coughs> they kind of just trained um, pretty much every day. They trained every day and didn't have a lot of games um, lined up. It was kind of just putting together a squad. They were using local coaches, local players. And it was more of a talent ID season for the Boston local players before they filled the squad with their 10 um their 10 allowed foreign players the following season. So, um, yeah, when I got there, it was, it, it wasn't even AIL standard. It was just, so when I got there, I was a bit like, oh God, what have I signed myself up for? I've just come from, like I said, the, probably the most professional and successful club in, in, in the world. And now I'm kind of half an hour outside Boston, you know, and like, actually I forgot to mention, we were training on the pitch at 5 a.m. And because all the lads were local Boston lads and it wasn't full time, um, they couldn't afford to quit their jobs or whatever. So they were training before work. And in the winter in Boston, when it's kind of minus six, seven, eight degrees, like it's not ideal. So, and, and to put a cherry on top, I tore my hamstring in my second week there. So the first year in Boston really um, was tough, but um, it was, it, yeah, it was eye opening. It was eye opening to see that not every club in the world is operated like Leinster is. I suppose like that is a learning experience. Um, and on, on, on that point, actually, the first year, yeah. um, what do you do when you tore your hamstring? Just, do you have to be at training every morning or was the, you know, like, well, how do you pass yeah, it? Yeah, no, I did. So, yeah, that, like, that was really, really tough. And kind of going back to that kind of mental side of the game, I kind of crept back into that kind of poor mental head state around rugby. Um, you know, this, you know, moving to Boston was going to be like my big break. I was going to kick on and, you know, it was the big dream of playing rugby America. And then I got there and it, like I said, it was really amateur in that first year. I tore my hamstring. It's freezing cold. I, mean, I can't even walk. Um, but yeah, no, I, I went out training every morning and, um, but I really, really struggled, like you said, kind of filling the days. I mean, I would, I would finish training or finished watching training at 7 a.m. and all the lads would go to work and it was me and only four other lads who were kind of the full-time players so it was, yeah it was a that was really just a strange kind of tough season um in that exhibition year 
Um, but then, you know, last year when it was full time, it was almost chalk and cheese. It was incomparable. You know, they were really running like, um, you know, a, a well-run organization. So I'm, I'm sure the organization um, learned a lot from that year. And I definitely kind of was eye-opened from it. And just um, like you, you weren't working in that exhibition year where you were like, what, like, I'm just trying to figure out how you surpassed the no, day. Um, you being done by seven Like, it, yeah, I, I, I'm almost lucky that I hadn't finished my college degree before I moved to Boston. I, you know, I was finishing online. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you and say I sat at my desk in the college all day because I absolutely did not. Um, but at least, you know, it gave me something to do for an hour a day. And then, so we'd go to the gym for an hour a day. And then, honestly, besides that, it was just like, what can you do? Because um, on the visa that I'm on, I, I'm not allowed to work outside of rugby. So didn't have a whole lot of options. So, um you know, my, my parents live in Boston, so that was obviously really nice to have them close by. Um, so I went down to their house quite a bit. Um, they were kind of my my safety nest, I guess. <coughs> and from there, that's when I went on loan to Rugby United New York. Um, so that came about kind of once I was rehabbed my hamstring, I was back. I think there was maybe four or five games left of the season. And I was just like, look, I need to do something I can't you know sit around in Boston for those six weeks without playing um so the Free Jacks and Rooney organized a kind of a loan deal where um I would go and play the last five games with them so that was great Dan how do you find that you know going down into Rooney and going into um you know you're effectively going into a new dress room and you didn't know anyone yeah. there really yeah well it's, it's funny because you think that you don't know anyone but I Played Munster under 19s and 20s with Will Leonard. I was in Leinster Academy with Cahill Marsh. I'm good friends with Mark O'Keefe. So it actually, it, it, it sounds like you should know anyone. It's a rugby club in New York. But um, there's, or that season, I think there was nine Irish lads altogether. Um, so it was great. It was, it was, that was the kind of breath of fresh air that I was looking for. And it was just really good timing after coming back from the hamstring injury and stuff. Like, um, like I said, I, I knew those eight or nine Irish lads on that team. Um, I remember for my Rooney debut, we were playing Coney Island and all my friends that I grew up with in Ryan, New York came to us. My parents came down from Boston. So um, it was great. That was that was really, really enjoyable six weeks. And uh, I remember watching a documentary there. I think it was Ben Foden and it's going around New York. You know, you have this idea that these yeah. professional teams in New York like, yeah. have a lovely lifestyle, but Rooney, obviously, the first couple of years, they yeah. were hopping on the bus and the subway and everything. Yeah, I I rode I rode that bus out to uh, out to Randall's Island, yeah, for training. So yeah, like I said, like professional rugby in New York, it sounds all well and glamorous, but you know you don't have the budgets of billion dollar New York Knicks or the New York Giants, and you know New York is probably one of the most expensive cities in the world. So um, yeah, you got to do it on a budget essentially. So yeah, you're getting the subway to the bus to get to training, and after training, you have to get the bus back to the subway to get home again. So. Um, yeah, it, it was, but it was, I'll tell you what, it was a lot of fun. It was really, really fun. Yeah. And it was a great experience. Um, just living in New York City, you know, there's a buzz about us and, um, yeah, plenty to do. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I actually don't think I spoke to you off, off air about this, but is, uh, is representing the Eagles a, uh, a goal of yours now? You know, something like we see AJ McGinty and, you know, Dylan Fawcett have done. Um, yeah. And the fact that you're US qualified as well, I suppose, is is, uh, is probably a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, 
base. So actually, I mentioned earlier just about being US qualified. So um, I qualified to play on USA on the residency on the residency grounds. So they also had that rule where if you know you live in a country for three years and they pushed it back to five years. But they also have one if you have an accumulated ten years, which that's what I qualified on because as an adult I hadn't done you know the five years previous. So it was actually my childhood ten years that qualified me. Um, and yeah, it's definitely it's definitely on on my radar and. I was telling you offline about how I was in Florida for the last month. I was actually supposed to be in San Diego in the U.S. Eagles camp, but it got cancelled with COVID. California's gone into lockdown again. So um, I was in Bermuda and Florida is right next door. So I decided to go see my parents for for the month instead. Um, I already had the flights booked over to America. So um, just kind of turned that into into seeing my parents. Yeah. So it's definitely, definitely on my radar, but... Um, I think genuinely the most important thing for me is just enjoying every minute of being in LA Um, you know, got to kind of start playing for them first, play well. And like I said, just using rugby as the ticket to this kind of amazing life. You know, um, we got our schedule yesterday and so you're playing away games in Austin, Texas and New Orleans and San Diego and New York. Like it's, you know, there's no other league in the world like that. So just going to just lap it up and enjoy every single minute of it. And if I'm playing well enough to make the Eagles, then, you know, that's, that's awesome. But, um, yeah, and just it's probably going to be a stupid question though. But like, um, how nope. are you? How are you going to be get commuting? Is obviously flying, is it, or will you be getting buses, or what's the story? Uh, it's it's all flying. Well, um, well, last year when I played with the Freejacks, uh, because the winter is just so cold in Boston, our first five games were all on the west coast. So we obviously flew out there, and we stayed out there the whole five weeks. Um, now I'm sure if we were playing San Diego, we just get the bus down. It's only two or three hour drive. But yeah, like like um, besides, I think besides San Diego, probably have to fly everywhere. Joe, you know, you'll the seven hour flight to the East Coast, essentially um, L.A. to Boston or New York. I think it's probably four hours up north to Seattle. You know, so it's it's pretty cool. Like that's that that's that's new and it's it's tough as well. Like I remember last year we played Seattle on like a seven thirty p.m. kickoff, and our flight was at midnight. So it's a pretty quick turnaround, and you're on the red eye flight back to Boston. You land in at seven or eight in the morning. So um, it's not glamorous sometimes, but it's it's um, it's so exciting and it's so cool. So there's, there's absolutely no, no downside to it at all. When you said red eye, what's uh, what does that mean? Is that plane food? Oh, that's sorry. That's the like the, the American term to the kind of <laughs> the overnight flight. I think I know, so. You, you wake up tired, and so your eyes are red. Um, been in America too long now. It's been too long over <laughs> yeah, the red eye. The red eye flight. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the last last touch of the the Rockwell roots. But, um, yeah, the red eye flight. Just something I found interesting, and I know your brother used to actually play. It. I think he's gone to gone to fifteen. No, fifteens now. But rugby sevens. Um, you know, obviously there's there's only seven people on on the field and fifteen or fifteen on the field. Is it very very different? You know, I know you're a hooker by by trade. Do you find it difficult yep. with more space? You know, on the field, is that is the field um, smaller? Pitch is the same size, yeah. So the only the only change is um, obviously seven men on the pitch and then seven minutes a half. Um, so I would have played Irish under nineteen sevens um, in a, a European championship tournament um in portugal um so that was my first ever taste of sevens and um which was so tough like i think i was 110 kilos back then i just finished first year of college i wasn't in an academy i was just a student so i got a little heavy and then i got picked for that and um it was class um, I, I really really loved it and um yeah physically it's obviously tough being a front row and trying to play it but in terms of skill set 
and actually put this down to completely from Rockwell. Like I said, those those games of touch rugby when you're playing just that's probably some of the most competitive rugby ever played was those touch rugby games with all the lads and that just got the skill set really, really good, just passing and kind of decision making. So um I've always actually loved sevens, um, which kind of sounds weird for a front row player. Um and even when I was leaving Leinster uh, in my third year academy, I went and trained with the full men's sevens team for about six weeks, um, just towards the end there, just to kind of change it up and uh, get out of Leinster for a little bit and clear, clear the head. And yeah, it was great. I, re- I really loved that, that kind of skill aspect of the game. So um, yeah, and uh, you touched on it there. My brother's joining me in LA. Um, he was a bit of a stalwart for the Irish sevens there for the last five years. So um coming back to 15s for the first time um, in five or six years. So really, really excited to play with him. It's been going to be our first time doing that in a full-time setup. So, um, yeah, it's all just really, really exciting going forward. Sure, he'll have the, the famous uh, jocks uh, rocking around LA. Uh. <laughs> the, the budgies, yeah. Budgies, yeah. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, of course, so, after. I the budgie smugglers. <laughs> I follow him on, uh, on Instagram. I find the stuff like, is the... Jackson, he's yeah, the, the budgies are great, yeah, yeah, they're, they're brilliant, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah it's all, all, all a bit of crack, yeah, exactly. No, it is, in fairness. Um, just on, on that note, so we've um, LA, and just before we get to the to LA, uh, you spent uh, a couple of weeks yeah. in Bermuda. I'm very jealous now, there's somewhere yeah. I love to go myself, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it was unbelievable, unbelievable, yeah. Do you want to tell yeah. us so? Um yeah, definitely. So um, it's, it kind of came out of the blue. So um, my brother actually got reached out to first and just said, look, there's chats of this tennis tournament going on in Bermuda. We're trying to put together a few squads. Have you any interest? Nobody ever heard of it. Nobody knew anything of it. Tens isn't really as common as sevens and fifteens. You kind of never really hear about it. It's sometimes like, you know, the invitational tournaments are kind of tens. Um, but um, yeah, they're hoping to be a new league, a new franchise going forward. And this was kind of a, I guess a trial sort of series. Um, so it was three, three and a half weeks on, on the Paradise Island of Bermuda. Um, there were seven or eight teams. And um, yeah, it's called the World 10 Series. Uh, it was like a privately funded t- uh, tournament. And they're trying to turn it into a series like kind of like the seven. So next year. I think they want to have um, like 10 teams and then 12 destinations kind of tour the world. But they, they put their own spin on things and kind of changed up a couple of rules to kind of just drive that entertainment factor. Um, they're kind of branding themselves as like the IPL of rugby, like the, the cricket out in India, just pure entertainment, just getting getting fans engaged. Um, but it was, man, it was honestly, it was probably one of the highlights of my rugby career, just in terms of just sheer enjoyment and just loving every single minute of it. It was just, class yeah really really class and I, I know you you mentioned there a while ago um that or actually you I, I research i came across that you you said that kind of fell out in love with rugby for a while would it be safe to say that yeah. the last couple of months has brought you back into love with it yeah definitely definitely um uh the thing for me with rugby is um what i love is just like i love the kind of relationships you build from it the kind of camaraderie you get in the dressing room stuff like that and I guess I think that's what I found really hard about like lockdown and being back in isolation back in Dublin when COVID hit is kind of just you're isolated and you know, I was lifting weights in my sitting room here and just by myself. And that's when I really realized just like that side of the game that I really love. Um, and like I touched on there with LA, like just taking the pressure off myself to always perform and just use it as this 
kind of ticket to the world, just new experiences, meeting new people. And, you know, when I look back in 20 years time and, you know, hopefully I've got a few kids, you know, I'll say, look, I, you know, I played professional rugby in Los Angeles and, and Boston. There's not many Irish kids who can say that, um, especially and, you know, and, and alongside my brother, you know, so, um, and then you throw in on top of things like that, you know, a month in Bermuda, like, you know, that's just unheard of for rugby. So I think I've absolutely, yeah, kind of got that, that love or that, that feel for the game back. Yeah, for sure. And just, just count, literally counting on the day. So I moved to LA now and get stuck in again, just um, itching to go. Yeah. Just on, on that uh, World 10 series, um, just off the top of your head, no, yep. if you can't remember, fair enough, but it, uh, any kind of rules that they have that are different? You know, like you were saying, they, they've, in, they've included a few rules to make it more entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, well, this is only small, but like they had rolling subs. So like, you know, you can bring a specialized props onto scrum and then kick them off then to get the fast boys on. That's only small, but then the kicking was the big one. So they had, um, obviously in rugby, where you score a try, you kind of bring the ball back directly in line from where you score. Um, you get your two-point conversion. But in the 10s, they had fixed spots. So they had um, a spot about 10 meters right in front of the, the post. That's one point. Then you had, you bring it out a bit wider and a bit further back, those two points. And then you go, you know, maybe 40 meters back a little wider, that was four points. And you had one on the halfway line, which is five points. So you could choose which one. You, it was like a uh, conversion jeopardy or lottery, whatever it's called. So... You know, if, if you're down by nine points and you score a try, you know, you can kind of get the opportunity to kick from the halfway line, um, which is great. Um, we, we actually ended up winning the tournament in the, in the league in the, in the first two weekends. And um, we had a great kicker who could slot him from, from uh, halfway line every time, pretty much. So um, it was great. Yeah. You, you were you're playing with the London Royals. Um, did you know a few guys? Yeah. And, and how did you get, you know, how did you get in contact with them? Um. Yeah, so got in contact with them through a guy called Matt Turner. He is was a player. He played England sevens, and then he ended up in America with Tiger Rugby, which is like a kind of like a privately funded rugby academy. He does a lot of work for them, but the owner of Tiger Rugby um, is the CEO and founder of the World Ten Series. So Matt Turner, who is um, player coach in Seattle now, was largely in involved in kind of filling the rosters for this. So he got onto my brother first and then um, came about, you know, I just, the second Harry told me, I was like, fucking tell him that I'm keen to play as well. Like, I'm, you know, I got to get on that plane as well. Um, so Matt reached out to me um, just about getting involved with the London Royals. Yeah. Um, didn't know anyone going over. Uh, sorry. I knew David Busby, a guy who I actually played Irish 20s with. He's from Ulster. Played Irish 20s in 2014, I think. But he's playing in Seattle in the MLR. So he was on the team. And then the bones of the team was um, mainly the England sevens team. So you had, you know, Dan Norton, the all-time leading try scorer. You had Tom Mitchell, the cap, he was captain of like Team GB in the sevens, um, stuff like that. So that was really, really cool. Um, ben Foden came along as well. So he had superstar Fodes, um, you know, Cecil Africa, the, the South African um, superstar was on Harry's team with a couple of like the Kenyans, like Collins and Jira, who was top try scorer before Norts took over. So, um, yeah, it was cool. It was really, really cool to kind of get to play with those those lads and kind of from the different code. Um, best and, class. And do you know when you went over, like obviously you said there, you you know you know one guy. Like how what was done to kind of make you you know kind of bond as such was there? Yeah, um, was there plenty of booze or was there? Was, <laughs> there's was there's a bit of bit of booze. Yeah, there's a bit of booze. Um, so. 
I guess it made it a little bit easier for me that my brother has been on the, the seven circuit of it. So um, all the sevens lads would have known him. And I, I think he might have shot them a text um, prior saying, oh, look, my brother's playing with you boys. Like he's really excited, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I actually met them in the airport in London. We flew from Gatwick. So um, it's funny, the first couple of days we got there and kind of, you know, you have your clicks, uh, obviously, you know, people you, you know and you hang out with, but um, we had, you know, the court session on the, on the, you know, the first or second night, having a few beers and, you know, the, all the England Sevens lads got done in because, you know, they were all going off for coffees by themselves and, you know, all just sitting together on the tables. But um, after the second day, it was completely wiped and, you know, I, I became really, really good friends with some of those, uh, you know, lads that I'd never met before and, you know, will continue to be really good friends with them going forward. So um, that was probably the highlight of the, the, the tens for me. Obviously the country was like stunningly beautiful, but um, just making those friends and those relationships was um, definitely the highlight for me. Brilliant, brilliant. And then on to, to LA, um, you, you yeah. announced recently enough, actually I saw in the, the papers as well, that yourself and your brother um, are signing with LA Guiltinis, yeah. yeah, the Guiltinis. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to give us uh, an insight of how this came about and what, does guillotine or why is it what does it mean it's the, that's the golden question that everyone asks um yeah so um i guess i'll go through how it, that came about first um yep. it actually came through funny enough my brother first he kind of had a point when the sevens was all up in the air um the olympics got cancelled and then you know seven series um for next season started getting cancelled and Joey's 28 and he was kind of just thinking you know what's his next move and he kind of came to the conclusion he couldn't really sit around hoping that you know a sevens tournament might um might happen so he got you know a little bit proactive in looking for clubs and um you said you follow him on Instagram he's you know mad into content creation and photography videography and he's you know unbelievably skilled and unbelievably passionate about it so um la is kind of the hub for that that scene social media and, and, and content creation so um he through my agency actually he actually um asked me to speak to my agent to um see the possibility of going to la so he can obviously combine the rugby and 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 his passions outside of rugby um and then i remember he got off a phone call with them and i was like oh fuck that sounds pretty exciting now um and then that kind of got me thinking um about um you know leaving the free jacks which you know wasn't easy at all um, it was actually you know pretty hard to do um kind of goes back to that point of just those relationships that you know i made a lot of really good friends in new england and um it was tough to decide not to go back there but um when i waited up it, you know it, if my if my brother was only going to go to la for one season and go back to sevens it would be too big of an opportunity to miss out on um you know you only get one shot at playing professional rugby with your brother and to do that in la as well is is um yeah like i said once in a lifetime and really special so um the guiltinis and the free jacks kind of came to an agreement to send me to la to join up with my brother and um like a pretty star-studded lineup i'm not gonna lie we have like a really good team so it's really exciting um and what was the next name every yeah, everyone wants to know about the name the guiltinis so um essentially our owner and the founder of the Giltinis is a man by the name of Adam Gilchrist. So that's where the Gil comes from. And he has started LA and he's also bought the Austin, uh, Texas franchise. And he renamed them to the Gilgronies. Um, 
So there, essentially, it's he's put Gil in front of Martini, the drink, and then a Negroni, the drink. And I'm sure it's all a marketing employee is going to sell these at the games. Um, but yeah, no, our, our logo is kind of LA with a you know a Martini glass, and we're we're pretty out there. Like we're, we're I think we're wearing like bright pink and blue is our colors, and um, really just making a splash, um, kind of Hollywood style. So he's uh, smart man. He he founded F45, the kind of the fitness um, oh, yeah. franchise. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we're we're coming in to make a splash, just that kind of Hollywood excitement, entertainment factor. Um and yeah, it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's it, it kinda of makes it all that bit more I don't know, a bit more fun I think when kinda of all the the eyes are on you. I look that look it's a once a lifetime opportunity and absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's unbelievable. Um just yeah. before we, we wrap it up, uh do where, where do you see yourself in the next three or four years? Um, all going well. Um, well, hopefully still in LA. I mean, um, like I said, I haven't, haven't got there yet, but I'm already just chomping at the bit to get there. And it sounds like an unbelievable place to be. And, you know, like I said, we've put together pretty world-class squads and, you know, even the management are like top drawer coaches, backroom staff, like they're really, really putting together a world-class organization. So like I said, I'm only 25. So, um, uh, look, see how it goes. But if you know if they put a long-term contract in front of me, then I'd probably be quick enough to sign it. <laughs> you know, living in LA for a couple of years, and then, like I said, hof- hopefully, you know, um, caps with the Eagles. You know, there's a World Cup in 2027, um, which I have penciled in my diary. That's absolutely a goal of mine. And um, yeah, just just hacking away at that, and um, yeah, just like I said, just enjoying it, enjoying it all, and yeah. Enjoy the process. Enjoying the process. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, why not? You know, there's not there's no point in getting too kind of wound up about, about it all. Just enjoy it for what it is. Um, yeah, have have an amazing time and and um, yeah, because it's not gonna last forever. Rugby is it? No, no, exactly. And it, uh, no. it's uh, I suppose how old curiosity as well. How how are yourself and your brother preparing, or what's the plan we say going forward? I know you're only back in Ireland. No, the two of you are only back in the last couple of days. What's the plan yeah. going forward between now and March to keep yourself and to have yourself at that level when you go over there? Yeah. Um, so we're doing essentially like a, a remote preseason. Um, um, so we've got, like, like I said, world-class S&C coach, strength and conditioning. He, um, his name is Mick Stevens. He was the head of conditioning at the New South Wales Waratahs down in Australia. Did, did some like the Australian uh, underage groups as well. So, you know, we were hooked up to an app on our phone and, you know, our whole um, running schedule, our weight schedule, all that is there. You know, everything's there. We kind of input our scores, all that, and that goes directly to him. So he's keeping on track of that. He can kind of see the, the load we're going through every week. He's prescribing individual programs. Um, so that was actually, you know, when we said we were in Florida, we were actually only going to go for two weeks um, just there. But he said, look, it's... 30 degrees we joined a, a really good gym there was a soccer pitch just down the road from the house so we were gymming every day doing our running session in in the heat and Ireland was in full lockdown so we, so we actually stayed on for an extra two weeks did the month there and then yeah just kind of trained really hard and then uh we're in isolation now at the moment obviously from flying home um so yeah like I said um, Mick has been really good he's kind of just given us um kind of body weight stuff to do just to 
keep ticking over until we're we're out of this and good to go and then yeah straight back into the gym out to the pitch and just firing on all cylinders um going to LA hopefully the first of February and then the first game is first week of March or something so pretty short um turnaround when we get there so we got to kind of show up fit and firing just that won't be long coming um yeah exactly it'll fly by you know once Christmas comes and goes it'll be here before you know it so um yeah can't wait and just before we, we wrap it up there um what do you think you'll be doing you know when the lights will stop for rugby in hopefully it might be 10-15 years whatever the case may be yeah um again another million dollar question yeah um i well i guess that's where part of this um this agency that we we started up and the, the whole kind of preface behind that is so our pitched athletes is you know look you know rugby, your your sport isn't forever and you can you have to um keep that in mind and think about that and keep an eye on the future and start building towards something for when the day comes. So like I said, I'm, I'm you know, getting my degree. Um, I've got pretty keen interest in real estate. Um, so I see myself going down that route. Um, obviously this agency put a lot of time and effort into that. So, um, you know, that's you know, hopefully a project for a long time coming. Um, but yeah, like I said, like, you know, Adam, our owner, Gilchrist, um, you know, incredible entrepreneur, businessman, um, have access to him, you know, pick his brain a bit and just kind of just network over the next 10 years and, or however long I'm playing, just, again, I feel like building relationships and, the, and those connections is pretty key and, um, never know who you'll end up for a coffee with and stuff like that. So, but I, at the moment I, I do like the idea of getting into real estate. Um, but who knows? Wait and see, wait and see. And yeah. Who knows? Look, you'll have, you'll have to, you'd have to come down to, um, to Kerry as well for some bit of, uh, team building to two of you but you threw your paces down here on yeah absolutely absolutely i was like i was saying to you off camera my, my parents would kill me if i didn't say that uh my granny's from uh from dingle um so we've said a lot of time there we've done the new year's eve and dingle and all that we have a house down there so we're not we're no strangers to that, that uh part of the part of the country Jesus, uh, we, 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 we be claiming it so when we go over there. <laughs> exactly. Look, uh, thanks very much for taking time out and coming on an interview podcast. And look, best of luck with, um, in LA and hopefully we'll, we'll see you playing with the Eagles in a couple of years time. Yeah, thank you very much again. Thank you so much for getting on to me. I really appreciate that. And I always enjoy kind of having a chat, telling my story a little bit and, so hopefully um, you enjoyed it as well but I, I had a great time yeah thanks again for that I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Sean very very interesting guy very down to earth as well um, fascinating journey uh, goes to show that he's you know he's using sport as a ticket to the world and what he's experienced so far is is amazing um, he, he didn't leave you know a setback determined him he kept fighting and He's uh he's back loving his rugby now, which is which is the most important thing. Again, look Sean, thanks very much for coming on the Inside View podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. Um so that is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you have any stories from part of the team, whether it's the sports team or corporate team, please do let us know. Don't forget to rate review and tell your friends, family about the Inside View Podcast, and please do follow us on our social media channels. You'll find us on Instagram at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. That's the digit two. We're also on LinkedIn if you search on the ball team building. And we're also on TikTok on the ball team building. Have a lovely week. 
and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred in it fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening and have a great, great Christmas.